It is time for Side Talks. <laughs> Hi. 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 Uh, it's Side Talks. Um, <laughs> my name is Corey Kraft. I'm a programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. Yeah, you are. Yeah, who are you? I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm the creative director for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. And this is Side Talks. And uh, I've warned you already, but I'm coming high energy today. High, high energy. You hear me? I'm talking three times as fast as I normally talk. Coming real strong because I have absolutely nothing else to offer except for the fact <laughs> that I just had a huge cappuccino. Wow. Okay. So, so we have to talk really fast or we're going to fall asleep. That's right. Bye. Okay, bye. I mean, no, we, no, no, not bye. We're starting. This is the beginning. It, here we go. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute round one fight. Guess what it's time for. It's time for a five-minute fight. Five-minute fight. Let me crack my knuckles. All okay. right. Can you start the timer, please? What are we fighting about, Corey? We're fighting we about uh, Oscar nominee Bombshell, nominated right. for three Academy Awards, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Makeup and Hairstyling. I'd say it deserves one of those nominations. Okay. Because... You know, Charlize Theron does not look like Megyn Kelly usually, um, and she is very convincingly transformed into Megyn Kelly in this movie. And that is the only good thing I'm going to say about Bombshell, a movie that inexplicably, you tell me, is good. Why? I like this movie. I had a fun time. I don't really know why you don't like it, except that I want you to commit today that you do not like it when A, actors transform, transform themselves into actual people who no, have existed. No, I, I, don't, I don't mind that you don't necessarily. Like it. You I don't, don't like mind it. it. I don't it mind it. It bothers you. You're always pissed about it. And that is what's happening in this film. Shirley, uh, Charlize Theron, see how I did that, <laughs> has transformed her transformative role. Okay, that's one. Uh-huh. Two is that you don't like it when the wall is broken. You hate it. You hate it. You hate it. Will you admit it, please? I don't like it when it is done for no reason, when actors turn to the camera and say, ain't I a little stinker or something like that. Or, that never this happens is, in Bombshell. This Bomb is Shell. how if Fox you News works. This is the structure of conservative media. Let me lay out all possible exposition in the first five minutes so we can all agree that this is, well, a pretty kooky place to work. But nobody, even the like weirdest, like – most horrible conservative voices in American in public life deserves to be sexually harassed. Am I right? Well, I agree with that as a premise, but the movie is not any more curious about Fox News as an institution, especially not as a harmful institution, than laying it out like as a weird place to work in the beginning of the movie. It's just not curious about how it has contributed to the very behavior it is condemning this atmosphere of uh, patriarchal control and sexual harassment has been perpetuated by Fox News, has been perpetuated by voices on Fox News, and the movie has nothing to say about that. But why would it? Why would it? I mean, first Why of all, I don't necessarily I don't necessarily agree with you that's first, okay? Mm. And then second of all, just because it doesn't get the politics exactly where you want them doesn't, it doesn't make do it a bad film. With the it actually does. I no, mean, it, I actually think that this film is it is a bit of a sort of it is a bit of sort of a motivating kind of fun, high energy sort of, uh, you know, celebration of the bullshit in a, in a way that's sort of calling it out. Now, does it does it does it get all the politics right? Does it does it take down Fox? No, it but I mean, it, but it doesn't, doesn't do lift anything. it up either. It doesn't do anything with it. It has to give a sort of vindicating rejection of those politics to a character who is made up which is bothersome to me. Yeah, I don't none of this makes the movie bad. I none of it makes the movie strongly. bad. It is it is it is way simpler than that. I'll, I'll say this, I'm not going to yas queen Megan Kelly. Fictional I, I Megan really Kelly. I really hope not. I really hope you don't yas queen anything. But but this is what the movie is set up. It it is a it is a me too era story sure. of triumph. Okay. Uh, Stop right there. Stop and just repeat what you just said. A Me Too era story of triumph? There's not that many of those, and there's nothing wrong with that. To be able to give folks something to celebrate, to come around and say, this is, look at this bullshit. This was crazy. Fuck this world that we're living in. And that's all it's doing. It's not trying to to get to the down to the details of the politics. It really is just a hurrah film. Why make it the Fox News movie? Why even pay lip service to the sort of conservative 
harmful bullshit that it that, shows all it it it, mm, it lays it all out and but says it does this so place with a lack a of curiosity hole. it does so with a lack of curiosity and honest interrogation of it it is all yeah, surface it's not, level it's, it's an hbo right. movie it's an hbo you're right. movie i mean there's nothing but i don't think that there's anything wrong with that i don't think that you can't have more there there that is another film that you want you want another film to happen and there's nothing wrong with this one there's nothing wrong with having a film that's really enjoyable to go and watch and get behind and celebrate the the sh- the bullshit to to look at it and say you know that what that happened it was unpleasant it was horrible and some people came out on the other side of it and it it re- it really gives just a moment of being able to there are so many moments in this film where you can kind of applaud and, and just and, and enjoy yourself feeling like you're giving a middle finger to the bullshit and I I get that that's just that's you know, that's not like the patriarchy has not been overturned. I understand that. Well, you don't sure. have to explain that to but me. When but to be able to to sort of look at a moment in time and to and to, you know, he, sort of hero cheer some of the folks that came out on the other side of this thing and that really put their life and their career on the line to do so. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But up until the moment they put their lives and career on the line, they were upholding that bullshit. The very it's, same and, bullshit that harmed them. And why are we celebrating that? It's a fun time for the movies. I had a good time. I don't think it's fun at all. Margot Robbie's pretty good, though. Oh, Margot Robbie. Yeah, okay. Let's look at this cast alone. Sam? Uh, so Corey says the only good thing is that Charlize Theron looks like her character. And I kind of agree. I didn't actually see this, but I'm going to have to <laughs> side with Corey on this one for sure. I'm definitely giving Corey 100,000 points for his fourth wall example of Ain't I a Little Stinker, which is essentially all of Fleabag to me. But... Um, and yeah, why are we celebrating or why do, why do we necessarily need this movie, this, um, as Rachel makes it seem like more of a time capsule or a history lesson and just something to look at and remember it happened. But in a way, it seems, does seem like it's oddly celebrating the problematic workplace of Fox. And yeah, it's just mm, it's not entirely necessary it almost like wolf of wall street people look at it and will inevitably celebrate it and think the movie is championing it instead of trying to take it down and tell everyone that it is wrong so yeah Corey wins this one for sure this is bullshit also i mean really and truly i say we don't need bombshell but we need another version of little women <laughs> yes oh my gosh yes incontrovertibly incontrovertibly yes f you and f you too don't, Sam. don't use that letter at me and now, a look at what we're watching this week. So, Corey, what are you watching? I'm re- I'm still I'm going to just go through this whole thing still fueled up about your dislike of Bombshell okay. and trying to come at me. Um, but anyway, go ahead. I thought we were arguing about Little Women today anyway, and so I came <laughs> ill-prepared. But whatever. I had a fun time with the movies. F you. Go ahead. What are you watching? What are you wow. watching? Wow. Still, still saying still F you. Still F you. Okay. I'm going to keep right. doing it. What, what am I watching? Well, I want to talk about um, something I watched uh, yesterday as recording this in preparation for the Oscar nominations. I think that's going to come up a little later in the show, too. Um, I watched uh, one of the feature documentaries that ended up being nominated, uh, a documentary called For Sama. Um, I wish I had the filmmaker's name in front of me. I don't remember it. Um, it is, it is uh, a film co-directed by a, a Syrian journalist, a woman uh, in the city of Aleppo, which was under siege by both the regime forces of Bashar Assad, uh, the Syrian dictator, and the Russian um, military forces that were sent in to reinforce Assad in this, um, in this insurgency, this, this sort of rebellion that um, launched in response to his regime's uh, brutality against the Syrian people. Um, The siege of Aleppo was uh, something like a six-month affair, and uh, the woman in in question, the the filmmaker uh, and her husband, a doctor, are on the ground in Aleppo um, trying to document uh, and help the wounded as best they can. Well, the wrinkle that the film presents is the film is presented as a letter to um, their young daughter who is born right before the worst of the siege and who is a young, a very, very young child uh, for the bulk of of the film as they are, you know, not only trying to endure – uh, but but survive with with basic necessities um, at a time when bombs are being dropped 
left and right where neighbors and friends are just dying uh, during these attacks, including young children. All of this is depicted in horrifying, unflinching detail, as as I think it must be. And, you know, ultimately, it's a document that, that shows not only sort of the endurance of, you know, th- I guess to put it in a cheesy way, the human spirit, right? The, the bond between parent and child, the, the hope for a better life, a better future. But it, it does so by documenting something that, that most Americans and really most Westerners would rather just kind of pretend isn't happening. Um, to, to, the, to the extent that I think this is almost, you know, this should almost be mandatory viewing, especially for anybody in, in recent weeks who has been uh, hawkish on increased U.S. military involvement in the Middle East. Um, this is the on-the-ground uh, view of how these conflicts affect civilians and specifically women. And I think it's a remarkable documentary, probably the documentary of the year for me. Um, in what shaped out to be a, a pretty good documentary year. I mean, I, I've seen three of the five nominated documentaries. The other two that I've seen are Honeyland, which as of this recording is playing at Sidewalk Cinema, and American Factory, which you can see on Netflix. I think those two are very strong too. But for Sama, of what I've seen, uh, probably probably should win. It's really remarkable. Cool. Um, good to know. Uh, well, what I'm watching is a lot of stuff, actually, but um, a lot of stuff that's sort of made its way through the cinema and a lot of stuff that people are talking about. So I see no real reason to, you know, belabor the some of the films. But um, to kind of give you an example, you know, one of the things that maybe isn't quite as much on people's radar is I really, really enjoyed Waves. Yeah, I didn't see it. So Trey Edward Schultz, who directed um, Sidewalk alum, who directed Cresha, it has a new film out called Waves, and it's very, very good and also really kind of provocative in a particular way. Mm. Um, it, I, I'm, I want to talk about this film, but I don't want to give too much away because I did go into it not knowing anything. The trailer is, a, is lovely in the sense that it doesn't give anything away. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I'm seeing that happen a lot this year with, with films that I feel really let down by. I'm not sure it's their fault as much as I feel like the whole darn thing is in the trailer. Yeah. And that this doesn't do that. So I don't want to ruin it for anybody. I want to encourage everybody to see it. It it takes a couple of really interesting – it makes a couple of really interesting daring decisions. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in such – is really thought provoking and conversation provoking. So I I feel like you know it's it, I'm talking about a film that I want to talk about, but I don't want to talk about because I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But I, I would encourage everyone to see it. It's also hard to market a melodrama. Yeah, I find that I find that that just that name alone turns people off. But I wish people would embrace melodrama a little more. I really appreciate it as a as a genre. So um, Waves is is definitely there. It's also this weird, I saw it the same week that I saw Uncut Gems. Mm. And Uncut Gems is doing a lot of similar stuff. Is it really? Well, it's it's testing its audience in a particular way. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's approach to narrative structure is really interesting. Its approach to tone is really interesting. I also don't want to, yeah, I don't want to go too, too far down that road. Um, but it, it's, what's interesting about the comparison is that Uncut Gems is not a kind film. No. I like it a lot. I think it's one of the best films of the year. I would even say it's one of the best films of the decade. Wow. Yeah. I like it a lot. I don't think it's a, a nice film. It's a very mean film. It's, a, it's, it's unkind. Yeah. Waves is a very kind film. Hmm. It, 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 seeing it after Uncut was interesting because it was like, it's doing some similar stuff, but in a really, really, ultimately, it likes human beings, whereas Uncut Jumps doesn't really like people very much. <laughs> so that's what I'm watching. Other than I rewatched for, I don't know why, I got in a trance the other night and watched The Holiday. The Nancy Myers movie? Yes. Where uh, Jude Law is daddy? Yes. Yeah. Daddy. Daddy Jude Law. I, I don't know what happened in my brain. It was as if I was drawn in and couldn't get away from it. And I didn't like it. But anyway. It's not, it's not. Great, but it kind of has a bit of a cult following, I think. Does it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, it people behave in this film like no one has ever behaved in a relationship ever in the history of the yeah. world. I, I think it's kind of like a like a millennial, a little holiday, like a warm cup of cocoa 
You yeah. know, people people like watching it. Um, maybe we should put a star next to it for the next Christmas series that we do. Oh, that would be an interesting cinema. one. I think people also really hate it too, though, right? It's one but, of the on the worst holiday list. Yeah, holiday but film. there are all kinds of. You know, whatever. Yeah, I hear you. Anyway, if if you've listened to this podcast and you're worried that Rachel and I never agree on anything, which isn't entirely true, um, we both very much agree on Uncut Gems, which rules. And which also not everybody else in the world agrees with us on. There's a lot of really angry people, including some that got up and walked out of the screening at the cinema. So it's been an interesting month. Well, I mean, it is in their defense, uh, 135 minutes of getting yelled at. (laughs) So that is true. I get it. You got to be in a mood for that. Uh, Spoiler alert in terms of not giving you any narrative information at all. But if you just want to go into uncut gems and not, you know, not know anything, then just kind of fast forward by like 20 seconds. It is the equivalent of a roller coaster that just keeps going up and up and up and never goes down until you just drop off the edge. Right. It's amazing. Uh, but waves, I'm I'm really looking forward to finally catching up with that at some point soon. Really happy with it. Yeah. Um, even though it's not a happy film. Yeah. What? What's this shit? Wow, you went I, much higher than usual. I did, and I kind of did a thing which which the audience can't see, which is I made eye contact with Corey like I was going to take a beat, <laughs> and then I went right into it to shock him. It was so shocking. It, it was. was. What's this shit? There yep, I go again. There it is. Okay. All right. So I'm at the gym. I'm on the tread. And actually, before I was on the tread, I was on like one of those like thigh crunchers. I do those. So I was on a thigh cruncher. And while I'm on the thigh cruncher, I'm sitting, I'm also going to see how many times I can say thigh cruncher. I'm, I'm wondering in my head, sort of like, oh, I'm really at the gym and I'm trying to motivate. And, you know, it's hard to motivate when you're, you know, it's, I don't know. It's hard to motivate. I'll just leave it at that. And I'm thinking, I wonder if anybody else here is just thinking, I've got to get, I've got to stay in shape so I can screen and watch movies and talk about movies and think about movies and, you know, try to teach movies. And I mean, I'm wondering if anybody else is thinking that and anybody else is motivated in that same way. And I look over and out of a door of it, I've never realized people could come out of. Like I saw the door, I'm observant. I knew it was there. I've never seen anybody come out of it before in my life. Out of that door comes a juicer with a giant chain around his neck. And the links in the chain are like the size of my wrist. Uh-huh. And he's just hanging it over it and he's like, Ugh. and I'm like, that is the best answer to my question. Is that absolutely not. Nobody else in this <laughs> fucking gym is thinking about a movie at all. So anyway, um, but that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about <laughs> what was on the screen and the cardio cinema. And that is Kevin Costner's stupid ass face. You don't Do like you know Kevin what movie Costner. it is? No, you know I don't like Kevin Costner. I, I didn't He's know that. Dull. I guess I could have guessed that, but I didn't know that. There's a moment in Truth or Dare, the documentary Truth or Dare, uh-huh. which of course is about the one and only superstar Madonna. Okay. And it, it, there's a moment in that film where Kevin Costner comes backstage and he said, we brought the kids and we thought the show was really neat. And Madonna turns to the camera, which you don't like, but maybe you would be okay with it in a documentary. I'm okay with it in documentaries, and I don't <laughs> dislike it every time, but continue. <laughs> she turns to the camera and makes a gag, like like I'm putting my finger down my throat vomit. Uh-huh. And that is, she's so right there. That's the moment when Madonna's been the most right in her life. Oh, man. I know. So all I have to go on here is Kevin Costner. <laughs> no, actually, I think we might have done this one before. That's how dull Kevin Costner is to me. As I was like, have we done this before? We might have. So we'll just do it again because actually that's every Co- Kevin Costner film is we'll just do it again. So anyway, he's there. He's in the rain. He's looking up at a lady's window. There's definitely baseball involved and... I don't know why. He, I almost get a stalking vibe from him, but I also feel like it's supposed to be acceptable that he's looking up at this woman's window. She makes eye contact with him and his stupid eyes. And then there's there's baseball. I mean, are you not? Well, I mean, I have, Con- I have a lot of options here. He's made a lot of baseball <laughs> Does movies. Does he? I didn't know. I thought yeah. this was just a, like, oh, well, the baseball one. I mean, no. Like, are we dealing with young Kevin Costner or old he's Kevin Costner? He's medium Kevin Costner. Medium Kevin he's Costner. He's medium Kevin Costner. So this could go a, a couple of different ways. a lot of close-ups in it. A lot of close-ups. Oh, okay. Um, I don't. I guess I don't I know bored. for sure what this is. I have a guess. I think it is probably his sort of late '90s baseball movie for love of the game. Okay. Because if it were Field of Dreams, I feel like you would 
give I don't I don't remember a rain stalking session in Field of Dreams. Yeah. I don't think it's Bull Durham because I think that would be younger Kevin Costner than you are suggesting. I think you're right. So, I, I do think you're right because um the other gentleman who's in it, whose name I should know because he's been to Sidewalk before, um and which I probably should have just told you because then you'd probably get it right away. Uh-huh. But uh, you know the the gentleman from um, Talladega. Let me say it right, Talladega. Uh, John C. Riley. Yes. Is is he in for Love of the Game? I don't remember. Oh, you are um, failing at what's yeah, the shit? Well, I've never seen for Love of the Game, but you know who directed that? No, I don't. Um, Sam Raimi. Oh well, good on him. Yeah. I'm so bored. Well, let's move on. Okay. I mean, you I got think it that wrong I, though. You got it. You I know don't what? Know you had I some. I don't, you know what? You've had some weeks to rest. That's true. We have not recorded, as you might be able to tell. Yeah. We have not recorded in, in a couple of weeks, and yet you, you, you aren't rested. You aren't, on the, you aren't on the top of your game like Kevin Costner, I'm sure, is. In, in For Love of the Game, yeah. I, which I think is what this is, which I haven't seen. It is tight. Confirmation. Boom. You Boom. did get Boom. it after Boom. all. Boom. Ah, unstoppable. <laughs> That's right. Unstoppable. You know what's not unstoppable? What? Kevin Costner's face. Ouch. Okay. Um, I mean, I think he's pretty good. Is it? Yeah. His I mean, dad. Not his face, but he, I mean, dad he's a pretty vibes. good... Major dad vibes. I like a dad movie. Okay. What, you do what like I a say? dad movie. I do like a dad right, movie. Right. Anyway, that's what's this shit. Right. And uh, next time I go to the gym, I'm planning on taking a chain. <laughs> and now, fast film terms. Fast film terms. <laughs> I try not to laugh through it. Can you do it, please? Fast film terms. <laughs> Let me slow it down for you. Okay. It's fast film terms. Oh, we're burning a lot of time. So, we have a fast film term today, and it's room tone. Do you know what room tone is? I think so. It's it's when you're recording sound on set, and you have to get sort of the um, the background temperature, I suppose, of the room. Um, and I am blanking as to why <laughs> that is, but I know it's important in um, post-production and in sound editing. Yeah, absolutely. And editors who are listening will know because if you are cutting something together, just for mm-hmm. example, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for room tone, but if you're cutting something together, then you have this moment where uh, you can actually hear an edit yeah. because the sound of the room could change. So it's, you know, you can actually hear it. Well, if you put a bed of audio down below... Sure. All of that, it sort of helps to not hear an edit and, and sort of bring the soundscape together and make things feel more seamless and look more seamless and do the thing that most of the time you're trying to do when you're editing a film, which is have your work go unnoticed. Yeah. So at the end of, uh, of, of a shoot, right, the end of a, of a particular wherever you are, whatever location you're on, at the end of that shoot for, the, for that amount of time, you sort of hold your room and you say, everybody still hang in there. We're going to record room tone, and you get a good, I mean, I always say get a good couple of minutes because what does it hurt, but certainly right. 30 or 45 seconds of just the sound of the room because every room has its own texture and sound, and yeah, that's room tone. I wish that I had known about this technique when I was in high school editing uh, dumb little movies on a VHS player. So everything, you could hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. It's, that's it's my version amazing. of no room tone is me talking like this. <laughs> Did you like that? Well, there are probably other problems with that than just a <laughs> lack of room tone, but but yes, I oh, did like believe, it. Oh, believe, believe. Uh, but yeah, that's room tone. And I mean, I can actually go on. Room tone is kind of an interesting thing. There's other reasons why you might use it, but that's that's the most basic. So we'll leave it at that. Cool. It's fast film terms after all. Yeah, yeah. We're, tr- we're not trying to burn up too much time here. Guess what it's time for now? Can you tell by the tone and approach of my voice? Uh, I, I'm feeling very reflective. Reflections. I've reached out to Sade. <laughs> I've <laughs> sent her really? an email. No, but I would love to. I've uh, I've sent her an email and asked her to record a Sade version of the intro to Reflections, and we'll 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 let everybody know if we hear back. I feel uh, like that's a hard no. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> So uh, what we'll, I think, be reflecting upon today is uh, the 2020 Academy Award nominations. Hold me back. Uh, everybody seems super happy about all of these nominations. Um, if I'm judging by the response from the internet, no problems. Everything's fine. You're so and, full um, of uh, Everybody's, you know, okay with it. Well, okay. That's not what happened. Uh, as a person who even likes a lot of, if not most of the movies nominated this year, um, these are not super satisfactory nominations for a lot of reasons, but Rachel right. primarily 
I'm pretty pissed off. I'm honestly pretty pissed off and have had a little back and forth with some some folks. Some folks I have a lot of respect for. Michael Galinsky, who's a good friend, and, yeah. and I have been sparring a little bit about it, um, I think in a very friendly and respectful way. But um, there's been some back and forth. I'm really mad. There is no excuse whatsoever. It's completely unacceptable to, in this day and age, in this particular year, period, have a, a director list where best director has no women whatsoever on the list. Yeah. I, I am – this is unacceptable. Nobody – I understand the Academy could really doesn't give a shit what I think, but this is not okay. Yeah. It's really not okay. And it almost feels – it's hard to say – that this doesn't feel in some way intentional. I, I mean, I know that sounds paranoid, but you can't tell me they didn't notice that. I, I think they, the, okay, so they noticed it. The reason I know they noticed it is because when they sent out the press release this morning with the, um, with the Oscar nominees, uh, at the top, you know, the thing they wanted press to run with was like uh, a record number of women nominated across all categories this year. Of course, leaving out the fact that in the big ones, you know, especially director, um, there are some pretty notable exclusions. Uh, so they they knew exactly what was happening. Now, that means there's room for there's room for correction. There there's is room, room for to correction. reevaluate. There's room to there's room to not do this. The question is how, and and this is an interesting Figure question. Figure it fucking out. Yeah, this is an interesting question um, because. As they specified when announcing the nominees this morning, um, the nominees are voted on by each branch of the academy. Sure. So, so right. the editing we branch, know this. Yeah, yeah, the editing branch votes for best mm. editor. So, for the directors, uh, this was voted on by all of the directors who are members of the academy. Now, and what does the academy makeup? The academy look like? makeup is predominantly male. Yep. It is predominantly white. They have taken steps in the last. Four or five years to correct this after the Oscar So White debacle sure. uh, in 2015. Um, those corrections have been moving very slowly. You know, we had kind of a historic year in 2016 with the, the win of Moonlight and the celebration of Moonlight. And then since then, they've regressed somewhat, right. I would say, back into, you know, normal, quote unquote, safe territory. I don't think they think they are being safe. I think they think that giving a nomination to Bong Joon-ho, the director of Parasite, is kind of a, a daring thing to do. And I think that is something that the Academy five or six years ago would not have done. Um, but I do think, um, as you say, there's really no excuse for the director's branch to evaluate the work, the groundbreaking work of so many female directors this year, from my beloved Greta Gerwig and my beloved Little Women sure. to Marielle Heller in A Beautiful Day at the Neighborhood to Lulu Wang in The Farewell to any number of movies that were otherwise blanked completely well, in I mean, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is the is, perfect example of it's a- It's outrageous. It's a movie outrageous. too good for the Oscars. A movie too good for them. I, you know, that, I'll put that up on a shelf as better than just about anything that has been nominated for an Academy Award in decades. You're exactly right. And, so and, there's no excuse. No, th there's other none. Than, other than they don't have any taste and they're a bunch of mediocre people. I mean- Individually, is that true? I agree. Probably not. I agree, but here's what they are. They're a bunch of mediocre white dudes. Sure. And that makes for a specific type of nomination list. I, I will say this. If you are a devotee of the Oscars, you have to get used to mediocrity being celebrated because every time they have recognized something genuinely great over their history, it has almost been by accident. Sure. It has almost been reluctantly. If you look at, you know, some of the best decades of, of um, American filmmaking and international filmmaking in history – and look at what the Academy decided to select as the best picture of that year or what they decided to nominate, you know, it's almost never what actually holds up. Um, the fact that, you know, personally, and I, I've, I've gone on about this for, yeah, for a yeah, little yeah. while, the fact that the most nominated film this year is Joker with 11 nominations. Right. And, you know, that got as uh, 11 more nominations than Uncut Gems or Portrait of a Lady on Fire or The Farewell or any number of other great films. I mean, it's 
it's the Oscars. You I know, hear they're you. drunk. I hear you. They're idiots. I don't know what to, you know, but, but, I, and, and I'm sorry for stepping on your toes, no, no, but you're to good. address, address the, the larger problem, um, there obviously needs to be something done. And if that is what they did with Best Picture a few years back mm-hmm. or a decade back, where it can be any number of nominees between five and 10 for Best Director to sort of match that idea, maybe that's what they should look like, look at. But because there is no reason, there is no reason that the Best Director lineup should look the way it does and look the way it historically has and keeps looking like. And I don't think that any there's clearly no real effort being made to change it. And so part of the discussion, right, that we start having here is this it's kind of to your point, it's the prom queen, it's right. the quarterback, it's the fraternity, it's the sorority of the of the of the movie world, right? right. This is the this is this like why do you want to go to the frat party anyway? Yeah. It doesn't mean it's okay for the frat dudes to be racist and to do racist shit that they do. Yeah. And and that's what that's what has to stop. So even though this is the what do you expect from the academy anyway? It's the most basic bitch of it all. Sure. They shouldn't settle for that. But it's not okay. It doesn't make it okay. Yeah. It's the same way that it's not that it's not and and you shouldn't just say, "Well, don't, you know, just don't don't even go to the prom then. No, you you know, that doesn't solve it. It needs to be taken down. Something needs to be reevaluated. This is just, it's wrong. Across the board, it's absolutely wrong. And it's, it pisses me off. And here's the other part of it, is that we can not go to the party all we want. We can not go to the prom all we want. We can say, throw our hands in the air and whatever. And by the way, we're still going to host an Academy Award watch party. Sure. I mean, that's not going to change, right? We're still playing the game. And part of the reason we are is because it is the thing that sets the tone for so much other stuff. It's yeah. the thing that tells people what they should watch. It's the thing that tells the average person what's good. Really, it does. The party has weight. The party has importance. We can dismiss it all we want. But the fact of the matter is this particular party makes and breaks careers. Yeah, it does. And and it's one of those things. It's, you know, for, for festivals, for small indie cinemas – these kind of films are the ones that become a feather in your cap. Yeah. They, there was a reason why I was up this morning watching my live feed and you know wanting and, and, and texting back and forth our executive director Chloe about what what was what we had screened and what we hadn't because people look to that. They yeah. look to that as as being you know as being um, an evaluation of whether or not we're good at what we do. As if we've if we've picked some of these basic bitch films. And I mean not that all of them are that, because there's certainly some wonderful films and, and you're right, Parasite's one of those examples and there are others. But just the other just last night I had somebody come up to me and ask me, Are you guys gonna get any big movies? Big movies. So it's it's relevant. Yeah. And yeah. It needs to change. It yeah. shouldn't it shouldn't be this way. At, it, I'm just I'm beside myself with this. Well, as far as big movies go, we do have Portrait of a Lady on Fire <laughs> opening on March 6th at the Sidewalk Cinema, which is as big a movie as you could hope for. I, not oh, by this movies. person's standard, but, but oh, it's, believe me, it's not. It's better than anything. The I don't know. It's Adam Sandler's amazing. face was really big on the screen and uncut sure, gems. Sure. I also don't. Uh, let me just stop. It's I, we're not going to. Clearly, we're not trying to solve it. We're just talking about it. I don't yeah. know what the answer is, and I don't know. I don't know that we'll having be having any kind of different conversation this time next year. But it's gross. It, it's frustrating, um, and I think it's doubly frustrating because you know we we've had articles come out in the last few days that there have been more, you know, money makers, more hits yes, yeah. made by female directors yes. in 2019 than than pretty much any year. You know, prior, you look at something like uh, Hustlers, directed by Lorraine Scafari, a movie we both like a lot. Right. Um, Little Women is just making money. I mean, Little Women is pretty well represented, you know, in the Oscar nominations. It should have – and this is we'll, – we'll probably five-minute fight this film later uh-huh. because it's it's fine. I like it. There's no reason why you should have gone to see this film twice in New York. It's amazing. It's very precious. It's the best. I knew you would like it. But this is perfectly – where I am really thrown is this is such – the perfect film for the Academy. So if it doesn't, if Greta doesn't get a nomination, what, who does? Cause this is right up their alley. Yeah. yeah. This is exactly the kind of present under their tree that they just wait on. So I don't get it. I don't get it either. Um, I think, 
to that particular point, and this is almost beside the point, but you know, yeah. we're, we're working in a compressed award season because of the Olympics. So all of this is moving very, very quickly. Sure. And I feel like if we were in a normal situation, a normal award season where everybody had a few more weeks to see how big a hit Little Women was. You do. You think it's just think, a timing issue. I think it's a timing issue. I think Greta becomes an undeniable nominee for that that fifth slot. But they love Joker. And those they other those Joker. other four guys, uh, Bong, Tarantino, Scorsese, and Mendez, they look locked in there. And they've looked locked in there for weeks. So, right. you know, who's to say? Who's well, to say? You know, Greta might have just been a very, very strong sixth place. Um she should have been in there. She should have been certainly a lot higher than sixth place because that movie, I know you don't like it as much as I do, but it's undeniable the work well, that she does behind the camera there. It's undeniable that this is something that should be absolutely up their alley. That That's where I'm really thrown out. I couldn't believe when, when she didn't get a nomination. It was really, it feels so strangely intentional. Yeah. And again, not trying to bring the paranoia, but it does feel a little like, Hey, ladies, calm down a little bit. Calm down a little bit. It's, you know, we're not going to, you got Weinstein and the Walker. We got, it's going to be, you know, but you're not going to get any nominations. It but feels nasty. It feels nasty. I don't, I, I maybe, I, I'd hate to ascribe any intentionality to it just because of the sure. sheer number of people whose individual ballots go into this tabulation. But who are the gatekeepers? Who are the people who are, I understand yeah. all that, but who are the people who are evaluating this and looking at the big picture and saying, you know what, this this is, all of these directors sure do have something in common. Right. I wonder what that is. Yeah. We do that at the festival. I know. We look at our, I mean, if we can do it at the festival and be very conscious and very careful and very thoughtful and, and take very seriously our responsibility of having a diverse lineup. Mm-hmm. And also, really, I mean, we have juries too, but really, you know, making sure that our jury has the right stuff to consider and is doing so in, a, in the correct way and being fair. If we can do that, certainly the Academy can do that. Do better. Yeah. We're a handful of people, though. And there are hundreds of people in the director's branch. And, but All there the numbers, more reason why there's more people that there are more minds that can come together to solve something. But they there won't. Are. They're naturally exactly. there they're go. naturally there going go. to move toward mediocrity. There you go. Because of the numbers. I mean, to me, that feels mathematic, mathematical. Like the more ballots you get, the more watered down these choices are going to get. Until just where the gatekeepers are important. That's that's. I important. don't think they have gatekeepers well, though. They're then. You know, we certainly can, there have to. We and can if, curate. They tabulate, and it's just like, well, fix the that. majority of people liked, you know, these white dudes, and so the the question becomes, how do you balance that out with the voting membership? Fix it, yeah, and it needs to be fixed, and it shouldn't be. This shouldn't be something that they address in 2020. I'm not even sure they will, but it shouldn't yeah. be something they address in 2020. It's something they should have addressed year decades ago, yeah, and haven't. Gross. It's gross. I don't. I guess I don't have anything else to say except I'm frustrated, and it's gross. Yeah, justice for um, Jennifer Lopez, and justice for Greta Gerwig in particular. I like the farewell a lot. That should be up there somewhere. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff. I can keep going with this, but I mean, yeah. you know, Jennifer Kent. I know, I know, I get it. Yeah. Jennifer Kent and the Nightingale, and not a, not even a, not even a whisper of that film. No, no. You know, there are a lot of good movies represented. But it is ultimately, I think, a pretty frustrating year for a lot of folks. And so, come um, watch the show with come, us. Well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have a good time. <laughs> you know, pointing and laughing at at Quentin. You know, getting up and accepting his probable best picture Oscar or his screenplay Oscar or something, and being like, "Well, thank you so much." And his chin just jutting out, and, and him just saying something stupid because he's stupid, even though he's a genius. And I can't handle that. That. I don't know. That's just dissonance for me. Like every time he right. opens his mouth, I want to just want him to shut up. And then he makes these movies that I love so much. And who who is this guy? Anyway, come see it. Come see oh, me. Quentin. Like that's have a whole a, nother. A that's a whole nother. Let's reflect on what's going on with Quentin Tarantino's face on a future episode. We are still going to the prom. That's the deal. So yeah. in high school, I didn't go to the prom because of the same exact bullshit. I didn't go. But we're at Sidewalk, we're going to the prom. So, you know, maybe the thing to do now to wrap up is just to say, if you have any thoughts on that, 
email us. Right? Yeah. How do, so, we, how, do, how do they fix this? Right. What do they do? Give us, solve, give us the solution. Solve the problem of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And let us, well, let us know what you think about us going to the prom and, and hosting this watch party and celebrating the Oscars when, when this is the, the temperature. Uh, just curious about that. It's not going to stop us. We're not going to yeah. change our minds here. I mean, that, that train is on the tracks, but I'd love to hear what you think. What's our email address, Corey? I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, Sam, jump in here, but I'm pretty sure it's podcast at sidewalkfest.com. Yeah, we got the thumbs up. Okay, good. Hey, so before we wrap thoughts. up, hot, yeah. hot take, or not a hot take, but kind of a fun fact. I don't know what it is. You didn't go to prom? I didn't go to prom. I was prom king. Oh, my gosh. That's See, right. miracles can happen, Academy. Woo! Miracles can happen. It was drawn <laughs> randomly from a hat. But I'll take it. Okay, you just solved it. This is how we freaking nominate films. Draw them out of a hat. Best director, Tom Hooper for Cats. Well, that's what the hat says, so we've got to do it. Better than Todd Phillips. All right. Reflections. Now we've got an interview, which is really cool. Andy Timoner, the one and only Andy Timoner, two-time Sundance winner, sat down with Melody Sisk, who's also a great filmmaker, producer in her own right. And they did a they did an interview. This took place, though, during the Sidewalk Film Festival, so it's a little bit dated, but uh, all the same. Wonderful interview. Thanks so much, Melody and Andy, for participating in this, and enjoy. All right. Well, hi, Andy. Thank hey. you so much for being here. Hi, Melody. I didn't realize you were doing the interview. This is even I better. I am. I didn't tell you that. A fellow Sagittarius. That's right. We just found out that we're both Sagittarius. I don't know how I've missed that all these Did days. Did you ever hear that the fire signs are like, they say Aries is the striking of the match and Leo is the fixed hearth and the Sagittarius is the forest fire? Oh, makes so much sense. That makes total sense. You know, know. Rachel is an Aries. Oh, I love an Aries. Yeah, me I too. I love a good Aries. I love an Aries like a and a Leo. I'm a Leo fan, I'm an Aries fan, and yeah. I'm a Sagittarius fan. I love all the fire fan, signs. So we're all oh, in good shape. Oh, here we go. Hey, this is going to go well. Then. Our darling engineer is a fire sign. So, Andy, what is what is this year of the Sidewalk 2019? What what, what year does this mark for you? At gosh, sidewalk? I imagine it might be the it might be the fifth year. It might is be it the sixth the year. I gosh. came with Brand, a second coming. You did come with Brand, a second coming. And I don't know if prior to that I came as a juror, perhaps. I don't know if maybe Rachel th- met me through that and then... I think that Rachel was a big fan of your work and was aware of your, your previous films and had programmed some of your films. But my memory was that we hadn't been able to get you to the festival I before. Have, I have a, a, an award from Sidewalk from 2007 for my cult wow. movie, Join Us, which is about four families that escape a cult. And it was after Bush won the election in 2004. And I was like, there must be some kind of mind control in America. So I went out to a cult treatment center, a living cult treatment center, and I happened upon this epidemic of cults, like little tiny cults. And I, I landed on this Mountain Rock Church cult in North Carolina, actually. Wow. Yeah. I'm originally You're from North Carolina. State. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I'm originally from Bat Cave, North Carolina. I was born in Bat, in Mountain Valley Hospital in Bat Cave, North Carolina, where there That's was one beautiful. doctor and two nurses. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I had na- So natural childbirth. Um, yes. Me too. Yes. I also gave birth to my son, natural. But yeah. I would have taken drugs. It was just too far along. I By then. I was actually <laughs> think they may have <laughs> the forced. I, I feel like there might be a story of them forcing some kind of drugs on my mom that she didn't want. She was super hippie. I know that she, she like, her whole entire labor was only four hours, which is insanely fast. Mine um, was, like, Juki, who you know very fast. well, your yeah. youngest juror in the history right. of Sidewalk for five years now or something. <laughs> Juki, uh, Juki is now six foot three or four and 15. But he was a tiny little tot, and he would present the award. And it was, I think it was huge for his development, how Sidewalk has played a part in his life. But uh, he came out, like, I, I dropped the mucus plug. I, like, went into labor at midnight on November 1st, the Day of the Dead day after Halloween and I was like I will not give birth on Halloween and there were fires surrounding LA it was wow. 2003 and LA was burning and I was like I will and it just had started a fire in the mountain behind my house and I was like I will not go to the hospital and come back to a burned house as if like being there and dying pregnant would have been better but anyway Ugh. I was like I will not give birth right now and then all of a sudden the rain started trickling down on Halloween night and at midnight I went into labor and by 7 a.m. he was born that's Seven amazing six, on his due date that was his due date. Wow. So They're juky. so rare. I mean, really. That's so jukey. <laughs> so jukey. 
He came shooting him. out with his arm and like shot water all over my sister. And he like rode down <laughs> in his water bag. So like he came out perfect. And he breastfed right away. And all the nurses were like, oh my God. It's amazing. And then he, at Sunday, he went to Sundance at 11 weeks old. And we won. And he was in 17 countries by the time he was two. Wow. It was like a human experiment. What film was that that you won with the, that year? My movie Dig. <sighs> yeah. Dig is a great one. I actually haven't seen your cult film though. though. Join I would, us. I need to see Join Us. That's an, That sounds awesome. By the way, I thought that name was really good because you always see Join Us for Sunday services or Join yeah. Us with like a little quote. But if you if you call your movie Join Us and then you go to try to have a Google search on your movie, yeah, that's a little bit problematic. Just I made a movie called Vacation once. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, my movie, We Live in Public. Another yeah. one, another tip for this podcast is We Live in Public. Great name. Great name. Perfect for what it is. Movie about the internet and all of us trading our, our lives, basically, and our privacy and our intimacy and our love for for dopamine on the, on the internet. And then nobody could see it. Couldn't search. We Live in Public. You couldn't... Um, yeah, you couldn't get to it because on VOD, even though it's whatever. Well, it's luckily, all you have to do is put in Andy Timoner because that is not a, an overly common name. You, but you luckily. know, if you're scrolling VOD, you're just yeah. looking for something to watch. You sure, start yeah. at A and you don't get to W. And like I, I've heard that Gravitas Ventures, who actually distributed We Live in Public for a couple of years, changed their policy. Actually, told a filmmaker recently they wouldn't. Um, sh they wouldn't pick up her film unless she changed the title yeah. of the film yeah. because of We Live in Public. Because We Live in Public had one Sundance and it was like this huge hot film, but nobody saw it on VOD and like all these terrible films that started with A had outperformed. So Gravitas Awful. changed their policy. Yeah, I've been noticing it a lot recently. There, so there are all kinds of things. After M. No. M -O -P. Well, The Death of Dick Long is the name of the movie that I produced that's here at the festival today. Great title. Great title. Very memorable. You but could lose we, the V. We could lose the V, but you know what? I'll leave it. Um, okay. <laughs> not my choice. But uh, but I will say that our um, during production, I I have a big. I'm a big fan of working titles during production, especially when you're shooting in like small towns and stuff like that. Because I want to be the most forgettable film. I don't want people to remember our, our the name of our film at that point. I'd like them to remember it later. Just in case, you know, they don't like the content or whatever, it, it's easier to be under the radar. So actually, that film was called On the Run during production because we were like, what is the most, just like, it's still accurate to the film, but, but like, we'll never end nobody up. will remember it. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> And That's will never funny. be the title. We knew the title was The Death of Dick Long. It's funny when titles come to me. I love it. When oh, you know great. that you get a download of the title. Well, speaking of a title that is very simple to the point and pretty excellent, um, but also tells you exactly what the movie is about, let's talk about your film that's here this year. I feel a segue coming. That's right. <laughs> Maplethorpe, the director's cut. Well, there's a couple of films here this year, aren't there? There are. Should we not there talk are. about the secret screening? I, is it because that you. becomes a secret? Well, I think... Well, I just uh, want people to come because I, I, I'm in the middle of making a film about the opioid crisis, and uh, and I just feel like... I want people's feedback. It's more for me. I just want people's feedback. Yeah. It's actually a work in progress. Yeah. Um, the This segment probably won't air until after the festival. It's like going to be, oh, it's going to be additional content for, for later episodes. Oh, oh, so they'll oh, probably oh, cut oh, this oh. part. All right. Um, but uh, you can still talk about your upcoming project. That's just okay. The actual secret screening. That's okay. We have a secret message. screening tomorrow that's going to be long past and you can't come, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll talk about Maplethorpe, the director's cut, because yeah. two years ago I made. Anyway, I don't know why that's drooping. Let me fix it. Real when did you stop? Oh, is just now? Just, just now. We just said that we talked about something that probably won't be on there. I know this can be an edit point. I just don't. Oh, you should talk about it. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny for people to get all excited and be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's better. I don't know why this keeps sliding down. But really, when are you when are you looking to release? I mean, I'm going coming to your secret screening, obviously. Chrysalis? Mm -hmm. um, we have like six weeks to finish a cut for Sundance. I don't know if I will or so not. Nuts. I'm shooting all next week in Salt Lake City. Oh, that's right. For Mary J? No. No? For Chrysalis. Oh, wow. Actually, are we stopped? Oh, we're still recording, but let's just okay. get back into the flow okay. of the conversation. Okay, tell after about Mary Okay, tell me later. We don't have to put this on it. Okay. <laughs> all right. So back to the topic at hand, Maplethorpe, the director's cut. Tell us a little bit about it and what's so, what, what is so special about this cut and why is it so important to you that you brought this to Sidewalk this year? Well, last year we had Maplethorpe, the, I guess, the official producer's cut here, and it won the audience award, which was really exciting. 
and I had some personal things going on in my life and wasn't able to be there, um, even though I'd been there earlier that night. And so that was sad because I just got back to the hotel and got the call from the stage. And I'd never won. Well, I'd never been here when I'd won an award at Sidewalk. So yeah. that was really exciting. And I was really honored. Um, so it's super, super exciting to bring the director's cut here this year because um, I feel like it's a home away from home. I mean, ever since I did come and we can't figure out when I did first come. <laughs> but whenever that was, it was at least five years ago or more. And I've been here every year since like yeah. it, it consistently. And even the year that I shot Maplethorpe, which was 2017 in New York City in 19 days. And you were there. I was there. And you showed I up at the leather bar. Hi. Yeah. It was super cool. You saw how, what the heart attack I was having. I had to shoot all of the art gallery scenes in one day. It was a and lot. there was so many it was not just me i mean a poor crew my dp we had a crane we had like a techno crane for the scene that melody was supposed to be in and uh oh my god we it was time to rap and they were just basically in a call rap and you guys have been waiting there for hours you know oh, because we there were so it. many scenes to shoot in one day yeah um but we got through it and then somehow i ended up at sidewalk that year but uh I mean, long story short, the movie, I cut the movie in like nine weeks, the director's cut. Because, you know, the DGA, Directors Guild of America, like they, they give you 10, there's a stipulation of 10 weeks mm-hmm. that the director has to make a cut. I incorporated some notes and stuff, and, and but whatever, but I came out with my cut, actually finished it on Maplethorpe's birthday. Oh, wow. And I only realized that because I was going to get balloons for my son because it was his birthday party. And I hit send on the cut and I had to put in the date and I went, wait, what, how do I know that date? Oh, I gotta run. I gotta get balloons, but let me go to Google. And I looked and it was November 4th, uh, 2017. It was Maplethorpe's birthday. And I just thought, Oh my God. That's so, so when I went to get balloons, I got birthday balloons for my son and for Maplethorpe for Robert. And, um, and for Sam Wagstaff, his main financier also yeah. at, like his boyfriend, patron, father figure also had the same birthday of November 4th. So it was just this wild thing where I just had finished it. And it was beautiful. And um, and it was official selection Sundance. But there were creative differences. And as there are, because films are collaborative and people yeah. have different opinions. And so they made the most commercial cut they thought they should make. And that's what played here last year. But um, through some turns of events, uh, they turned down Sundance, I guess I should say. Right. Sundance didn't happen um, for my cut and or for any cut. Uh, the film premiered at Tribeca and went out. It came out in theaters. Samuel Goldwyn put it out in March, um, March 1st. And uh, and then, you know, a very passionate collector came along who had seen my cut and was just like, I just love it so much and it has to see the light of day. That's and so incredible. They financed my cut being released, which is amazing. What an so amazing it's honor. the first time it's playing here here at home here in sidewalk yeah here in birmingham and then it's gonna play la and new york and all over and go on the internet and stuff so it's a beautiful thing because it's really like giving birth i mean you know as a filmmaker as a director and i wrote the film you know i wrote 58 drafts and i'm the original producer 12 years that's i was gonna say i know it takes a long time 2006 so it was obviously you know i'm really passionate about the version that you know that i created that i intended that i wrote and that I edited, yeah. you know, and what it contains that's pretty different is an entire decade of his life. Oh, wow. Of him as a child. That's huge. And him different. in the Catholic Church and the church as a, which, you know, Maplethorpe wouldn't be Maplethorpe without the church in my estimation. And, and they are, you know, wise humans. They're good people. The people that I work with, the producers and whatever, they had my producing partners. They felt that the church was in there enough in, in its impl- that it was implied but in uh in my in my cut it opens in the church you know yeah. and um for me robert's relationship with the church was one of just uh it was like everything that he hated and everything that he worshiped and everything that he was battling against you know and he says you know um uh, in you know in I found the devil I've made a deal with the devil because he felt that you know at that point being gay was some kind of because he was raised as an altar boy in the church that it was like really a departure from who he was supposed to be but that it was okay he was just going to do it and that they all kind of made a deal with the devil you know and he ended up passing from AIDS yeah so it was really something he wrestled with but the iconography 
the sexuality of Jesus, mm-hmm. the beauty of all of that influenced all of his work. So all the, you know, there's like visual effects in the director's cut where you see just sort of into the psychology of the man and it's a non-linear edit as oh, opposed cool. to a linear story. Also, Patti Smith is quite a bit more present in my oh, director's good. cut. Oh, well, good. I look forward to that. Yeah. I'm a big Patti Smith fan Yeah, there's some, it's quite different, actually. It's really exciting. And everything, yeah. Well, for some I'm pretty people, excited. I bet you I'm are. I'm really grateful to Sidewalk for having it here and just, you know, it's just so so precious that it's we get incredible. to be here together doing this and we did we talk here yes we you did. were we on the show with we talk culture so online cool. if you guys are interested and you're listening to this yeah we did four and a half five hours of just having the best showdown hoedown of women meeting each other really and talking powerful, about yeah. really important issues and i was there the whole time it was great it was laughing our asses off i mean it was so <laughs> like on stage i mean yeah. like really having the best time yeah because when women get together great women who are shaping our culture it's like it's a lot of fun so it, it was yeah. a pretty powerful room i have to say yeah you you and rachel morgan and chloe cook like really were responsible for bringing the 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 show here this year and it was a huge undertaking to bring it to to Birmingham and I was so touched to meet women who had driven from Mobile and Montgomery and places I'd never heard of because they heard this show was going to be here and they needed to see something about women and one woman walked up to me afterwards and said I'm 24 years old and I've never she's just like I've never spoken up and I've never had these meaningful conversations and I'm just going to make every conversation I have now I'm never going to like let these comments go by and not say something and I'm just like it's this show has changed my life that's incredible so even just that one person you know yeah but there were so many people in the room well I have to say your we talk panel at Sundance was the best part of Sundance to me it was absolutely the best thing And, and having a film at Sundance is a great honor and it was of course um very special year for me in that respect but truly it is your panel that is what I constantly think about so some very insanely powerful and I'm sure there are clips of that that can be found online as well right uh, we talk yeah we talk is on talk house it's also on YouTube and it's something you can just find if you say we talk on or something like that or mm-hmm. probably soon we talk melody because <laughs> she's on the show about the boycott which yeah. really is just i mean i didn't even know the boycott of alabama and georgia to be specific about you know in the wake of this abortion ban i had never i didn't know what i was going to get from that panel like i didn't yeah. know which way you guys were going to go because i hadn't been here i didn't know yeah and P- and dave turner my partner my producing partner was like i didn't know how i felt about the boycott right till that panel yeah. And you guys need to tune in and see it. And also, yeah, check out the Sundance ones and the Tribeca ones and so cool. The Airbnb ones, like right before the election, we did like how you're being hacked and everything and like Renee DeResta and we've got some badass women on that show. Yeah. We had like, you know, Megan Smith, America's first female CTO at South by. We've done two South by's now. So we just kind of pop up places and we bring women together and, and we kind of celebrate what we do as opposed to you know like the me too movement is so important but it's very much about us being victimized and this is very much about us kicking ass absolutely yeah speaking of kicking ass you have kicked ass at sundance you've won sundance twice now is that true and yeah. that is you're the only woman to win sundance twice but person. also only person to win sundance twice that's insane it's, I mean, it's a huge, huge honor to have you at Sidewalk every year and to be a great supporter of this festival as you are and through, all the way through Sundance and everything, just totally making sure that everybody knew Rachel and the work that she does here for this festival. I mean, it's, you're a true advocate. It's a Thank very, you so much. It's a very unique place, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. is a very special place and it's yeah. real friendships come from this place and oh, real yeah. collaborations come out of this place. And Sundance is awesome, and it's made my life what it is, actually. And, you know, my son, I think, has been 16 times, and I can't say enough about the Institute. I mean, I went there with, I went to the labs with Maplethorpe, Mm -hmm. you know, and Bob Redford was, like, my mentor, along with Ed Harris and Michael Hoffman and Joan Darling and Joan Tewksbury. I mean, it was like, I never went to film school. I'm self-taught. You know, for me to just take my first scripted film through the labs like that and shape it in that way and learn how to put truth on screen, I can't say enough. However... A huge festival like that it's awesome if you're in the know and you know everybody and and I, you know you're blessed to be in in our position but a festival like this it doesn't matter who you are you show up and you are immediately enveloped in creativity and inclusive inclusivity yeah. and it's it's a beautiful remarkable festival and it's 21st year i'm i will i'm forever grateful we love it 
Oh, it's a family pilgrimage annually. Wouldn't miss it. Wouldn't miss it. This is my 10th year, I think. And uh, definitely never going to miss it. Wow, never. you're only like a few years ahead of me. I know. Isn't that I'm wild? I'm like kind of a veteran. You're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know right. what? And by the way, Birmingham in August, you can't beat the weather. You really can't. You it's like can't. being inside a human mouth. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's that it's moist. Maybe that's why we all love each other so much. <laughs> I love you, Andy. Sticky. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Your your makeup's gonna melt off. You're gonna make real genuine connections with yep. people. There's no artifice. Everybody left sticks together. That's right. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming and chatting with us. I'm so happy to. Uh, yeah, it's really amazing to see you as always. All Thanks, right. Melody. Thanks, everybody. Bye. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Today I'll be talking about Network, a movie made in 1976 about the imagined inner workings of network television news. When it first came out, the film was billed as a slightly far-fetched satire, but for audiences today, it plays as a real-world drama. The storyline, according to director Sidney Lumet and screenwriter Patty Chayefsky, was based on the ridiculous notion, what if the news was designed to make money? Today, 44 years later, it does not seem that far-fetched. The story follows veteran news anchorman Howard Beale, played by Peter Finch, who discovers that he's being put out to pasture. He is none too happy about it and threatens to shoot himself on live television. His angry rant turns out to be a huge ratings boost for the network and encourages his ambitious producer Diane Christensen, played by Faye Dunaway, to develop even more outrageous programming. The most famous line from Finch's rant is, of course, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. His entire speech, however, is amazingly prophetic. Here's another excerpt. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy. So we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house and we slowly let the world we're living in get smaller. And all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. The Mad as Hell speech was filmed in one and a half takes. Midway through the second take, Peter Finch abruptly stopped in exhaustion due to a heart condition that he had kept secret from the director. What's in the completed film is the second take for the first half of the speech and the second half from the first take. Although relatively unknown in America, Peter Finch was considered one of the finest actors of his generation with a successful career in England and his native Australia. He aggressively campaigned for the role of Howard Beale, but Lumet was concerned about Finch's Australian accent. He won the part after sending a recording of himself reading the New York Times with a perfect American accent. His performance in Network would become his most famous role, earning him an Oscar for Best Actor. Sadly, the Oscar would be awarded posthumously as Finch died of a heart attack prior to the ceremony. Lamette planned a very specific visual scheme for the film, shooting the early parts with available lighting and minimal camera movement, as in a documentary style. As the movie progressed, however, he added more light and movement so the final sequences were as brightly lit and slick as possible. The idea was to visually convey the theme of media manipulation, so as the story arc for the characters gets darker, the visuals on screen get brighter. The only music heard in the film comes from commercials and television show themes. Screenwriter Chayefsky was usually on set to give advice on how certain scenes should be played. Lumet claims that Chayefsky had better comedic instinct than him, but when it came time to shoot the argument scene between an estranged couple, the four-time married director told Chayefsky, Patty, please, I know more about divorce than you. For Faye Dunaway's role as the ambitious network producer, Lumet made it clear that she was a cold-blooded, soulless characterization with no sympathetic shadings. I know the first thing you're going to ask me, Lumet told her. Where's her vulnerability? Don't ask about it. She has none. If you try to sneak it in, I'll get rid of it in the editing room so it'll be a waste of effort. To celebrate Faye Dunaway's first Oscar victory, husband-to-be photographer Terry O'Neill arranged to meet her at the Beverly Hills Hotel at 6.30 in the morning right after the Academy Awards. What transpired was the famous image of a listless Dunaway reclining beside the hotel pool with her Oscar statuette standing upright on the table beside her. Dunaway had not slept since her win, and so she appears totally fatigued, prompting O'Neill to title this photograph the morning after. Network went on to have a total of 10 Academy Award nominations with four wins. Best Actor, Peter Finch. Best Actress, Faye Dunaway. Best Supporting Actress, Beatrice Strait. And Best Screenplay, Patty Chayefsky, 
who became the first screenwriter to win three Academy Awards for scripts that he wrote by himself. Ned Beatty remarked that actors should never turn down work, saying, I worked a day on network and I got an Oscar nomination for it. And it should be noted that Best Supporting Actress winner Beatrice Strait is only on screen for five minutes and two seconds. Hers was the briefest performance ever to win an Oscar. As might be expected, actual TV executives and news anchors were lukewarm to the film, while many other industry professionals refused to even see it. Chayefsky responded with an open letter that stated, Television people should stop worrying about whether their image is being tarnished and start examining their responsibilities to the public. Network demonstrates how television shapes and reflects human behavior in the worst of ways. Just as TV people could be corrupted by any number of influences to get better ratings, all of American culture could be corrupted to make a buck. Okay, well, this has been an interesting one. We talked for an extended period of time about, you know, the Academy and the uh, and the nominations. Which, again, everybody's super happy with. So if you fast forwarded through that part, we don't blame you, but we, you know, it's on our minds. And uh, other than that, I mean, there's no reason to do a summary here. I don't know. I'm just talking. Just talking again. Thanks for listening to Side Talks. <laughs> Thanks for picking that up. We really appreciate it. Yeah, sorry about all the yelling we did. I know my tone for a minute got real crazy, but uh, I don't even know if I have a, we're your own personal, can you, can you take this one this, um, this time around? We're your own personal, um, Greta Gerwig and Lulu Wang, who didn't get nominated for Oscars this year. Oh, that was dark. Well, that I mean, went, we didn't. Mm, it's true. It's true. <laughs> we're your own personal, uh, Quentin and Uma. Yeah, sure. They're they're good collaborators. You're Uma. No no I'm problems Quentin. there. Oh, never mind. Let's skip that. I all of a sudden said I was Quentin. Yeah, awful, Great terrible, filmmaker. terrible, terrible. Let me see your feet. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Anyway, we're done. <laughs> uh, thank you so much to Boutwell Studios. Thank you so much to Splash ninety six. We love our music and we really truly appreciate being hosted by Boutwell and and having them um, you know be there for us and fix us up and do all the wonderful things they do. Sorry we flipped all that furniture when we were talking about the Oscars. All right, caught a couple of things on fire. Yeah, it, it got heated. Oh, yeah. Okay, bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.